Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're in that part of Revelation. So I would love to see in the comments what word or phrase stuck out to you from that reading. We take all of the comments of what stuck out to them and then turn them to a word cloud on Instagram so that when you are doing your Revelation Reclaimed workbook, you can look at those words and let that be your inspiration for the activities throughout the week. So thank you for writing that in. Um, as many of you know, this is the first Sunday of Lent. Lent is the 40-day the season that leads up to Easter, and it's typically a season when people, uh, Christians all around the world, uh, uh, fast from something, abstain from something, uh, try to see what their life would be like without something in it, which is a powerful spiritual discipline because you never really know how much control something has in your life until you you try to not have it in your life anymore, right? And as I've talked to a lot of New City people, many of them are considering trying to cut away, uh, cut down or cut off from social media. And this came up uh, pretty unprompted in, in several conversations, including last week's sacred witnessing. And I think it comes from this kind of like embodied sense that uh, the amount of time that we pour into staring into a screen with social media is somehow like not the fullness of the life that God wanted for us, <laughs> to put it lightly. Um, I, and, and actually, like many people for several years, uh, for the past five years, people have been saying, I'm going to give up social media for Lent just to give it a try. And it wasn't until, um, I don't know, at least for me, it didn't really come into my schema or my, um, it didn't come into my mind as something that was really something to consider until I saw The Social Dilemma, uh, which uh, was basically like a parade of white people who invented social media being like, wait a second, the technology that we created to learn and hack your brain is too good at it. And now, like one, uh, the person in charge of monetization for Facebook, I think, said, oopsie daisy, this technology might accidentally cause a civil war. <laughs> hmm. um, I've also been reading up on John Lanier's, uh, Jaron Lanier's 10 arguments for deleting your social media account right now. And there are really interesting um, insights that come from the technology world that said, you know, 10 years ago, we didn't see this coming. But now, knowing what we know, we see how we are setting up a society where people are irritable, unhappy, uh, and and um, the un common understanding of what is happening in our country is, is going further and further away. Like one uh, technologist says, um, an MIT study shows that misinformation travels six times as fast as facts on social media. So, um, so there's all these like technologists being like, wait a second, maybe we should have not just tried to get a bunch of money by hacking people's brains. And I think it's an interesting moment. By the way, if you would like a sermon series on this kind of uh, exploring social media and ethical use of social media, because white men are not the only people who are speaking out against this. Um, go ahead and put that in the comments. So it's interesting because we're in this moment where a bunch of technologists are saying, the very things that we had perhaps positive or noble intentions in creating ended up 
creating a level of destruction that we did not anticipate, but now we sorely regret. Um, the least of which being the insurrection that happened earlier this year, much of which was planned on social media. So, um, so there's a, this sense of regret, and I think it begs a really interesting question, which is, what would you have needed to see in the future to change your course? What would you have needed to, what consequence would you need to see from your action that would have made you make a different choice? This is a really relevant question for the season of Lent because Lent is often associated with repentance. Repentance is literally turning around, seeing actions, seeing um, kind of the causes of actions and deciding a different way. Repentance is a very common trope in American media, including Jingle Jangle, if you saw that. <laughs> like that's basically a movie about repentance. It's about seeing like, okay, what happened and how can we change? And the hard part, of course, is that we can't always know the future. Um, we can guess, and if we center marginalized voices, we'll get a stronger sense of the future, but we don't fully know what the future is. So cut to the book of Revelation, and John, John is the author, not the, uh, not the guy who wrote the Gospel of John, different John. Uh, so John is writing this. And you'll remember that um, the Revelation is part of the apocalypse genre of literature. It's ripe with imagery from the Old Testament and uh, some images that show up in the New Testament as well. And it's uh, it's trying to create um, in uh, in a most dramatic form an imagination of of what God's people are supposed to be doing and how the church is supposed to be living in this world. If you were with us earlier in the series, you remember that this starts off with uh, a series of letters that are urging churches to remember their first love of faith. Then in chapter four, you'll remember that we saw a little bit of this flashback. So like the whole point is that every year the Israelite people, later the Jewish people, would celebrate Passover by slaughtering a lamb to remember the liberation of God. This lamb is a celebratory symbol of the liberation of God. It's like somehow through the blood of this lamb, people entered into a type of freedom from bondage that wasn't possible before. So we have this lamb that represents liberation. That's this callback to Exodus. Of course, John isn't done referencing Exodus. It's not like he was like, okay, one image from this one story, check. Now I'm going to move away from like one of the most important stories in the Jewish faith. He, he keeps referencing it. And the chapter that we heard from today opens with an image of locusts. Locusts, of course, are like the one of the freakiest parts of the Exodus story where a plague of locusts came and it, it was it was um, one of the sign acts that or one, one of the things that Moses was like, hey, Pharaoh, you're being oppressive. You're, you enslaved my people. And now God's going to say like, hey, you got to let enslaved people go. And so like a plague of locusts was one of the uh, extreme events that occurred that showed how stubborn and oppressive and insistently 
dominant the pharaoh uh, was, that he, he wouldn't free the slaves even when these terrible things were going on. And locusts were a symbol of like how bad things can get while oppressive forces still insist on being oppressive. And so then fast forward to Revelation, like major fast forward, and we have this image of not just locusts, but like steroid locusts, like locusts that are like nightmare. And they sound like the clopping of horses running and they just like scorpion sting people. And it's like locusts times 10 to the extreme. Kind of like in Jurassic Park when they were like, okay, the first one is going to be, the, the in the first movie, the scary part is going to be the Tyrannosaurus Rex. And then for the subsequent like 9,000 sequels that they made, they were like, we have to invent even scarier dinosaurs than the Tyrannosaurus Rex to like keep the franchise going. Anyways, so we're looking at the Ultrasauruses of Locus, and it's like, whoa, things are bad. And then um, uh, there are angels. We, I uh, believe we heard this in the in the scripture reading. There were angels at the uh, uh, mouth of the Euphrates River. The Euphrates River, of course, uh, being the eastern border of the Roman Empire. Okay, you're, you're catching on what? It, so it's like the Roman Empire being what is oppressing the Jewish people. Um, so like the Euphrates River, and, and it releases uh, those, there's that imagery of horses, which may be uh, a reference to the chariots of the Pharaoh, the horses of the Pharaoh. Okay, I understand that those of you who aren't seminarians, it kind of, that just kind of felt like the like Bible version of this picture. But what I'm trying to say is that throughout uh, Revelation, especially what in these chapters that we're looking at, there's really ripe imagery calling back to the book of Exodus. And the book of Exodus was like, hey, we're going to have locusts sent against stubbornly oppressive societal structures to demonstrate that um, uh, even under that pressure, the empire does not uh, free people or does not liberate people. On its own accord, the empire doesn't decide to unenslave people just because uh, things are terrible. And often it, it, it results in a doubling down effect. And so that happened in, in um, Exodus. And then all of a sudden fast forward to Revelation and we have like militarized locusts. And we're not just looking at any one particular pharaoh, we're looking at the oppression of the whole world in juxtaposition to the liberating lamb, right? The oppression of the whole world. And kind of the point of, as we see in the end of this chapter, is that the whole world doesn't change. Revelation 9 at the end of the chapter says, the rest of humankind who weren't killed by these plagues didn't change their hearts and lives and instead turned to their handiwork. And then to top it off in Revelation, they're like, Let's not even blame this on any one elected official. We're going to say that God freed the angels. We're going to say that God had the, had the locusts and all this stuff going on. The point is to not describe the violence of God. The point is to describe the stubborn human soul. And if any other person was like enacting these things, it would have been like easier to write off. But it's like, what if God... <laughs> did these things and created these conditions and then people still didn't change. 
Um, so I'll just say uh, two more things quickly about that. One is it's important that we, when we are engaging the violence in the book of Revelation, that all of this is seen as a vision. This is, this is like John envisioning this. This isn't God, uh, John saying like, this is for sure what God wants or what I see God doing in the world. This is like, I'm trying to show you a spirit-induced trance that I had for the sake of trying to get people to change. Um, and as a second comment on this, it just seems like this is John trying to handle the dynamic that we named with the social dilemma. Like, I'm going to show you the long-term consequences of what living like this will result in. So like you can't ed- anymore say like, oh, we didn't know that it would really hurt people if we hurt people. <laughs> you know, it's like, we didn't know it would oppress people to oppress people. But John is like, okay, so let's say that it does. Like here's this imagery of the end of the world that's caused by people refusing the lamb of liberation. This is what that looks like. To put it in modern terms, it's kind of like this, uh, this thought experiment. If you could go back in time to 1619, and let's say you couldn't physically touch or manipulate anything, what would you say or show, like if you had a little iPad, what would you say or show to the people who were beginning the transatlantic slave trade in 1619? If you could intervene in that moment and say or show anything, what would you say? Would you say that this is the beginning of 12 and a half million people's lives being ruined by slavery, human souls, children of God? Or would you try to make it more of like a self-interest thing, like speak to uh, uh, his self-interest as a white person and say like, there will be something invented called whiteness that will delete centuries of culture and tradition from various European countries for the sake of domination and control over black and indigenous people. Will you say that that this whole transatlantic slave trade will breed the deepest hatred and fear and domination control ethic within the souls of whiteness such that the uh, forced passage of the Second Amendment will happen just so white folks can patrol around with guns to make sure that their slaves stay in place. So that the very same folks who have those Second Amendment guns will eventually develop militias, which will eventually develop the Revolutionary War, which after the Re- the Revolutionary War military, and after that uh, military conquest, will develop slave catchers, which will eventually develop the Ku Klux Klan, (laughs) like that this is setting into motion one of the greatest moral injuries that any of anyone in their lineage will ever know. Or or would you say that if you fast forwarded the choice to create, to build this nation on the labor of enslaved black people, will create a cultural dynamic where white supremacy is so strong that white folks are even uh, uh, voting and arguing against their own self-interest. Uh, will you show them on an iPad how when Obamacare is presented, it, uh, it, because it is presented by a black president, and because there are terms like welfare queen, white folks will, some white folks will oppose Obamacare, claiming that it is just free handouts for black people, when statistically, 
Obamacare benefited, would have benefited, in, in its fullest extent, would have benefited millions more white people than it does black people. However, like the fear of, of racism, the soul wound of racism was so strong that even uh, the sacrifice of that many millions of white people came at the cost of wanting to maintain a domination and control system. What would you try to say? What would you try to show? Because what I believe that John is showing here is not a God of uh, vengeance and violence who just, like an abusive husband, can't can't control the rage and, and takes it out on, on the ones that God loves. I, I believe that what John is showing is that there are consequences to actions, that idolatries result in oppression. And, and if oppression persists, then all of us collectively become enslaved under the hatred and weight. That's what collective liberation means. Like none of us are free until all of us are free. And therefore the, the soul wound, the ideology that is creating racism and slavery is ultimately enslaving all of us. Though obviously the folks who are formally enslaved are bearing the brunt of those consequences the most. I believe that God in this instance is a God of rebellion, a God who is moving through people to show that there is a new way to rebel against sin, that the resurrection of Christ isn't just a theological concept that happened 2000 years ago, but is something that God is actively doing in society every time that humanity decides to enslave people. I believe that God is a God who insists on collective liberation, and it was that God who inspired Harriet Tubman and so many people who worked the Underground Railroad to work a way towards freedom. An Underground Railroad, by the way, that did include landed farmers who said, you know what? There is no amount of privilege that can set me free while someone else in my society is enslaved. So they joined the movement not because they were seeking spotlight, not because they wanted to get all the likes and shares for being such a good ally, but because they knew that there is only liberation if there is collective liberation. And it is that God who is inspiring a rebellion against mass incarceration and redlining and environmental racism and all the ways that black bodies are being brutalized and dehumanized and told that they are anything less than part of the collective liberation web, which the Lamb of God is trying desperately to set free. John is trying to give us a vision of how bad things can get, and yet the pharaohness within our hearts refuses to change. And John is saying, if we lean into worship, if we trust the Lamb of God, if we ask for liberation in our own hearts and certainly in our society, then resurrection will happen and we will see a new world. We will absolutely see a new world if the people of God talk to God like they're the children of God. And so may this season of Lent be marked by a brave and courageous inventory of how we can turn around from the ways of the Pharaoh and move towards the liberation of the Lamb. Amen.